Turn in your Bibles today to Genesis 21. <clears throat> Excuse me, Genesis 21. We're going to be starting in verse 8. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of the bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman, I will make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar and putting it on her shoulder uh, and the child, he sent her away and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle or in the, uh, in the skin, the water skin. The water was gone. And she cast the child under one of the shrubs, and she went and set her down over against him a good way off, as it was a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and uh, lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. I want to speak to you today on the subject, where can I fill my bottle? Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to touch us. We're praying that you would add your spirit uh, to the teaching of your word today. We're praying that you would give unction to me as the speaker, and we're praying that you would give understanding to us as hearers, and we're praying ultimately, dear God, that you would allow us to Take what we've learned in the Word of God and be not only hearers but doers of the Word. And we thank you for it in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen and amen. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. Amen. I was reminded uh, once again recently of the miraculous power of, of water. Someone said, if you like water, you already like 72% of me. <laughs> right? Both if you look at the human body and you look at our world, we're both comprised about the same amount of water. But when I was traveling out in the Southwest a couple of weeks ago, 
And we came through after we had left uh, the Pacific Coast and cut through L.A. and started back on I-10 headed east. And you get out into the area of California and, you know, the Palm Springs area and you come on through California and then you enter into uh, Arizona and New Mexico and the southern southeastern part of Texas and El Paso and you go you just have 800 miles of, of desert that you just go through I mean it's just it's sparse and you think there's nothing could grow out here maybe a maybe a few shrubs here and there maybe some cactus but you're not going to see a whole lot of anything in uh, parts of Texas where you go through arid or semi-arid parts of Texas, it's the same way, and yet you might look and miles away you may see a, a, a line of trees growing. You know when you see that line of trees growing, you know what's there. You know there's a river or a stream there. You have in those parts of the United States and other parts of the world as well, whether you're talking about in Africa or you're talking about in the Middle East, you have those places where it looks like there's nothing. You watch nature programs of, of uh, animals that live out in the desert and you think, how can they live? There's no vegetation, there's no shade, there's nothing to eat. But they have in those places rainy seasons. And during the rainy season, in just a day or two, the place is transformed. There is grass growing where you thought their grass could not grow. There are flowers blooming where you thought surely no flowers could be. What has made the difference? Water. It's amazing what water does. It's amazing how on dry, parched ground, just one shower of rain can make the flowers grow. And so it, it, is, it is, should come as no surprise, especially when the scripture was written by, for, and in the part of the world that's semi-arid or arid. It should come as no surprise that one of the great metaphors for life and great metaphors for the working of God in a life is water. That's one of the main metaphors that we have in Scripture. And in that part of the, of, of the world, in, in a Canaan or Israel or Palestine or whatever you want to use, it, use to call it, there's only one main water source. Now, I have had the privilege several times in my life to pass over the mighty Mississippi. And where you uh, go across it on I-20 at Shreveport, that's, that's, that's actually, uh, or at Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, that's, that's actually a narrow place and it's still very, very wide. But there are places that the mighty Mississippi is miles wide. And I remember on one of my first trips to Texas, I had always heard about the Pecos, we say Pecos out here, but that's, that's, that's Easterners. It's, if, you, if you're from Texas, it's the Pecos. 
and the Pecos River. I'd heard about the Pecos River all of my life. I remember Judge Roy Bean being the only law west of the Pecos, right? I remember Yosemite Sam said he was the toughest gunslinger north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. I always wanted to see the Pecos. It was a little stream. I, 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 why such a big deal? Why is that river so famous? Because when you're living out where there's no water, a little stream is a big deal. And so in Israel, all that they have is the Jordan. Headwaters starting up at Mount Hermon as the snows melt, coming down, and, and the Jordan and its few tributaries. Every once in a while from the Jordan, there, there will be a little, a little stream that will shoot off, you know, like the Jabbok and, and those. There's little streams, but, but the Jordan is the source. So what did those people, if they were not by the Jordan, what did they do for water? Well, one thing they'd do is they'd dig cisterns. They'd dig some big hole in the rock in the earth. And when rainy season came, they'd let it fill up with water. And that was their water supply until the next rainy season. But they would also dig wells. And Abraham had at least three wells that we know that he dug. Abraham dug a well and named it Beersheba. There was another well that he dug that was called Ber Laharoi. And we're going to talk about Beersheba and Ber Laharoi today. And then he also dug Rehoboth, which meant open spaces. And so these story that we're talking about today is a story of the search for water. And much in Abraham's day and with Abraham's way of life was life was built around the search for the desire for, the defense of, the use of water. Abraham was a, a nomadic shepherd. They traveled from place to place. He had sheep and he had herds of cattle and all of those, not only the people with him had to have water, but those herds had to have water. They had to have grass to eat. They had to have water. Anybody like to watch the old westerns? Anybody watch the old westerns? You see those wagon trains. What's the scout always doing? He's scouting out. You, you don't go the, the closest route to get to California. You don't, you don't go the easiest route. You don't even go the route where there's no Indians. You go the route that leads you through places where there's water. You watch these old westerns and you see the sheep herders and the, and the cattlemen fighting over what? Grass and water. And you don't have the one without the other. You see the big rancher trying to keep out the little farmers. What are they fighting over? Water. It's not land that they're fighting over. There's plenty of land in the southwest. It's not land they're fighting over. It's water that they're fighting over. It's life-giving. So God had made a promise to Abraham and his promise to Abraham was that uh, his descendants were going to be as the sands of the sea. Sarah, his wife, was barren. And then there was the age factor that was happening with Sarah. She was getting, not only was she barren, but she was past 
normal childbearing years and it didn't look like that promise was going to happen. And you know the story found in Genesis 16. I won't read all of it to you. I will refer to it in just a moment. But uh, Sarah said to Hagar, or said to Abraham, I've got this bond servant, this Egyptian slave. Take her and let her conceive and we'll call it my child and we'll call it your child. And this was not unusual in that day for, for that to happen. And God doesn't ordain that. In fact, we're still suffering the consequences of that today. The wars that happen in Israel and Middle, Middle East and even the terrorist attacks on American soil all dates back to this mistake, this rushing God. But it is what happened. Well, we're going to talk in a moment about what happened uh, when, uh, when Hagar had her son and Sarah's reaction. But first we want to address what's happening in this story and then we'll pick back up. Sarah saw that when they had Isaac, and by this time Ishmael was 13 or 14 years old, and Sarah saw that Ishmael, the son of Abraham and Hagar, was mocking the baby Isaac. It was the day that they were celebrating the fact that Isaac was weaned. And as big brothers are wont to do, some way, somehow, she saw that Ishmael was mocking his little brother. And so she said to Abraham, you've got to get that bond woman and her son out of here. Now again, we're going to talk about Sarah had, a, had had a long brewing jealousy toward Hagar. And Hagar had had a long brewing resentment towards Sarah. This, this, this has gone back ever since Hagar had Ishmael. And we're going to pick that story up in just a moment. We're going to backtrack 14 years in just a moment. But I want you to see the setting. And if you'll bear with me, we're going to land on our feet. But I've got to lay out this setting for you. She said, you, you've got to get that woman and her son out of here. And Abraham was heartbroken. He loved his son Ishmael. And he was absolutely heartbroken. And the Lord spoke to him and said, do what Sarah says and let them go. Send them out and I'll take care of them and I'll take care of Ishmael. And I'm going to make him a great nation. So he fills them up a bottle of water and he gives them uh, some supplies, some bread, and a bottle of water. It was really like an animal wine skin, but the King James translates it bottled here. He gives them a canteen of water and some bread and sends them out into the wilderness around uh, Beersheba, around Kadesh. He sends them out into that arid desert place, and he trusts God to take care of them. And Hagar gets out there, and the water has run dry. The bottle is empty. And she takes her son, as far as we can tell, 
and kind of finds a low shrub and kind of lays his head up under that shrub and really is expecting him to die. And then she walks away and turns her back. She walks, you know, two or three hundred yards away as far as you can shoot an arrow and turns her back and begins to weep and cry and says, oh, oh God, I, I, can't, I can't watch my child die because they don't have any water. So that's the place that they're in. They're in a desert place with no water and all they've got is an empty bottle. And it just occurs to me that there are times in our lives spiritually that we find ourselves in a dry place In fact, we often find ourselves as Christians going through dry places. We often find ourselves looking around and things not being what we want. Sometimes we live as we do in our culture right now where our culture is in desperate need of a shower from on high. The atmosphere around us is barren. You don't see people standing at the door, knocking at the door to get in to be saved, right? You don't see a mighty move of God taking place in the land. Despite all of the hyperbole that evangelists and pastors and preachers want to talk about, There's great revival going on around the world, but how many have to admit that right now in the United States, we do not see a very fruitful atmosphere spiritually. We see a dry and barren place, right? And it concerns us, but we get through it all right. Because we have a source. We have a supply. We've got a bottle of water that we go through. When, when, I, was, when I was driving through uh, the, uh, the southwest, oh, it was so hot. But all I had to do was reach back in the back seat, get some of the bottle of water that we took it with us. I had my air conditioning going on in my truck. I drank me some of my water. I could look at the desert and say, boy, isn't that a big cactus over there? Look, look over there at those rocks. Isn't that pretty? I, I, I actually enjoyed driving through the desert because I had supply. I had water. I didn't have any fear. But I'm going to tell you, if my truck had broken down out there, and we had ran out of water, and I was having to walk 800 miles in the sun, I'm going to tell you my experience would have been vastly different. And we are used, especially those of us that have served God for many years, we have been through deserts before. And we don't get all that alarmed for our own need because It may be dry around us, but we've got a supply. 
But how many knows you don't miss the water until the well runs dry? But when you've taken the last drop out of your canteen and you have licked around the lid and you shake and nothing comes out and your bottle's empty, then it's a whole different story, isn't it? I can tell you, I believe that the Lord allows our bottles to run dry from time to time. It's like the people of Israel who had willingly, knowingly chosen to reject the fountain of living waters, Jeremiah said, and hew out cisterns. And those cisterns had gotten a crack in them. They were broken cisterns that no longer held any water. When you walk through the barren places of this world and you're not moved and motivated by the spiritual drought that others are experiencing because you've got plenty of supply, you're not that desperate. You may look out and say, Lord, I wish you'd send them some rain. You may look out and say, oh, I wish somebody get saved. But you don't have, and I don't have the same kind of to our prayer as when our bottle runs dry. But you let my bottle give out, all of a sudden I'm desperate for rain. You let my bottle run out, all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking for a place to dig away. All of a sudden I'm going to work on my knees. I've got my spade in my hand. I start digging desperately because now my own welfare when somebody else's child is strung out on drugs, you might have compassion, but when your child's strung out on drugs, all of a sudden you don't just have compassion, you have passion. You, have, you pray like when somebody else's kid's going through a divorce, you're concerned, but when your kid goes through a divorce, all of a sudden you start digging a well. And so do I. I think God lets Christians' bottles go dry every once in a while to get us to the place that we have that emphasis. Now, I just want to ask, has anybody ever been through a, a, a desert place? Anybody? Now, let, let me ask a more personal question. Anybody ever had your bottle spent, your bottle give out? <laughs> right? And when Hagar found herself in this place, I don't know what she did. It's, it, from what the scripture says, she despaired. She was ready to give up. She thought Ishmael, uh, Ishmael was going to die. She thought she was going to die. She did cry out to the Lord, but it doesn't seem that she was crying out in faith. She should have remembered what happened when she was pregnant with Ishmael. Chapter 16, and the first part of it tell, uh, just tells you about how Sarah went to Abraham, verse one, and, and uh, she was barren, and she told him about Hagar, and she arranged for, for Abraham to, to uh, be intimate with Hagar. Hagar conceived, verse four, and then uh, the Bible says in verse four, 
that when Hagar conceived, that Sarah saw, or that Hagar saw that she had conceived, Hagar began to despise Sarah. So you got you got two women, and and they both have all against uh, uh, you know something against each other. Hagar is is uh, absolutely despises Sarah, and Sarah's absolute je- jealous of Hagar and Ishmael. So this is what's going on here. And so Sarah said to Abraham, I love this. Sarah says, let my wrong be upon you. In other words, you did what I told you to do, but now you should have known better and it's your fault. (laughs) And it was, it was both of their faults. I've given Hagar into your bosom but when she saw that she conceived, she despised me. Now the Lord judged, between, not between me and Hagar, but between me and you, Abraham. And so Abraham said to Sarah, she's your servant, you do as it pleases you. And Sarah, this is verse 16, Sarah dealt hardly with her. She mistreated her, she abused her. And Hagar, the pregnant Hagar, ran away from Sarah. And verse 7, it says that the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said to Hagar, Sarah's maid, Whence camest thou, or why are you here, and where are you going to go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit yourself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord, and some think that's a euphemism for the Lord himself. The Lord said unto her, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, every man's hand against him. He shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord. This is what the Lord that spoke to her. She called the name of the Lord El Roy, or the God that seeth me. For she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the whale was called Bear Laharoi. It's between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abraham a son, and Abraham called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. Now, the whale, Bear Laharoi, Here's what it means. It means the well of the living one who sees me. It's three Hebrew words put together. Well, living, and seeing. Here's what Hagar learned in the, in the wilderness. Learned in the desert when she was pregnant with Ishmael. First of all, she learned that the Lord lives. That the Lord is alive. Hagar came from Egypt. She came from a place where they had many gods and goddesses. She she came from a place where there wasn't a personal relationship with a god. She came from a place where there were idols and there was, was false worship and there was mysticism and magic and all of those things. 
But she ran into, while she was in the desert, she ran into a living God. Aren't you glad that when you're in the middle of your wilderness, in the middle of your dry spot, in the middle of your confusion, in the middle of your hurt, you learn that God is alive. That we serve a living Savior who's in the world today. And we know that he is with us, whatever men may say. We can see his hand of mercy and we can hear his voice of cheer. And just the time we need him, he's always here. Amen. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me all along the way. He lives. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Job went through a dry spot. Job went through a desert place. Job went to a place where his, his bottle had dried out. And, but this is what Job said. I know my Redeemer liveth. And long after the canker worms have eaten my body, I will stand with him on the earth in the last day. She learned that there was a living God. Pregnant Hagar running away from a mistress that hated her ran right into the living God. God appeared to her. Now you got to understand this is, this is an Egyptian woman. She, she is, she's not Abraham's wife. She is not in the covenant. She's just a slave. She's just a servant. She had very, very little control over what happened to her. And now she's pregnant. And all of the hope that comes with that. And she's pregnant with, as far as she's concerned, the heir to Abraham, a wealthy man. And now she has been, been so maligned, so abused, she's running away and pregnant and scared and worried. And she runs into the living God. Not only did she learn that he lives, she learned that that living God sees me. There are people in this world that absolutely feel invisible. I hate, I hate to say this to you because it's going to sound mean-spirited, and I don't mean it to be. It's just an observation. But there are people in this world that just don't make much of an impression on others. There are people that just fade into the background. Whatever it is about them, they, whether it's a lack of confidence or a lack of self-assertiveness, they just kind of, they kind of blend. I, I'll be honest with you, I, you know, I've lived in Douglas off and on for 40 years. Spent my teenage years here. Um, you know, graduated from high school here. Started a career here. There are times that, that I go into to Walmart that I'm 
in a hurry or I'm not in a good mood, I, I don't really want to see anybody. I, I want to slip in and slip out. But there are other times that I go into Walmart and it's such a joy to pass by person after person after person that knows me. It's such a joy to see people and to fellowship with people and to, and to laugh with people. And I think, boy, it's great to live in my hometown. But there are people that go into Walmart time after time after time and pass by. Nobody ever knows their name. They don't ever pass anybody that slaps them on the back. Nobody ever smiles at them, waves at them. They're just, maybe they're not, but they feel like they're just part of the nameless number. There was a man who was paralyzed. It was set at the beautiful gate of the temple. He asked alms of people. No doubt Peter and John had passed by him dozens if not hundreds of times. But when they went into the temple after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says they saw that man sitting at the gate. They saw him. The Bible says that Jesus saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion. Down in his innards, he ached for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There are thousands of Hagars in our world. There, there are thousands of unwed mothers that have been put out of their homes that don't know where to turn, and sadly, those that don't, often don't know better turn to the abortion clinic. And I'm not by any way justifying that choice, but I'm telling you desperate people that don't know a living God, there are people that feel like, and to be honest with you, there are people that because of their lifestyle, because of their manner, because of their way, they're difficult to look at. And it's easier for us to avoid the ugly. You, have you ever been watching TV and one of those commercials comes on with those little pot-bellied, pot-bellied uh, children that's starving in Africa? It's easy to turn the channel. It's easy to turn your head. You're like, man, why did they have to show me that? It's easy to cast our glance away. It's easy to do like the priest and the Levite and cross over on the other side of the street. It's easy to run away from the drug addicts that are run to them. It's easy to turn our glance. But Hagar found out there's a living God in heaven that sees me. He not only sees me, 
He's looking at me. He's not only looking at me, he's looking after me. How many people that feel like that they're invisible would be transformed if somebody loved them enough to look at them and that somebody looked at them and said, there's one greater than me, there's a living God in heaven that's looking at you. He sees you. He knows your hurts. He knows your pain. He knows your past. He knows your good points. He knows your bad points. He sees you when you got up this morning. He sees you when you go to bed tonight. He sees you. She found out there's a living God and she found out that found out there's a God that was looking at her. Elroy. That that is one of the compound names of God that we pray, the God who sees. And it didn't come from Abraham. It came from an Egyptian slave girl who was pregnant out of wedlock. She said, God sees me. There's a living God and that living God sees me and that same God that sees me hears me. He hears me. This will come as no shock to you, but I have somewhat of a problem. And that is that when I'm in conversation, conversation to me is just waiting for you to get through so I can say what I on my mind. (laughs) It's hard for preachers to be good counselors because we're used to talking. But you know, the Lord gave us two ears and only one mouth. We're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk, aren't we? It's amazing what you find out about people if you listen to them. I've told you that the DVR has saved my marriage. Because when the Georgia football game is on and Crystal wants to say something, I can pause it and turn and listen to her. (laughs) And then turn back on the ball game. God listens. There's so much in the scripture about our need to hear God. And boy, we need to hear. Let him that hath an ear hear what the Spirit saying to the churches. But I'm going to tell you, it's a comfort to know that God hears us. That's what she named her son. Ishmael means God heard me. God heard me. And so where did he hear her? He heard her by the fountain. That's where she was. She was by a fountain. She was by a well. Where God saw her, heard her, and promised her he would take care of her and Ishmael. Well, now she's been sent away. 13, 14 years later, she's not running away. She's been sent away. She's been cast out of her home. Sarah finally got her way. And she set out, and she sent out to the wilderness of Beersheba. Now that was another hint that she should have picked up on. 
Because the well called Beersheba means the well of the promise. The well of the covenant. And she was in a wilderness, but she was in a wilderness that had a well. And that well was the promise of God. That source of strength and encouragement and life was the promise of God. And she should have remembered that back 14 years earlier when she was an unwed mother, God made some promises to her. And the fact that she finds herself in a wilderness again, in a desert again, doesn't mean that God's forgotten his promise. And so the Bible says that she sat down, she took, evidently, this teenage boy is faint, and she lays him up under some shade, keep the sun out of his eyes, keep some of the heat from his brow, and she walks away two, three hundred feet away, turns her back and cries. And God speaks to her. He said, I heard the voice of your son over under the shrub. And God called to her out of heaven and said, what's wrong with you, Hagar? (laughs) Don't be afraid. God has heard the voice of your son. Now get up. Go and pick his head up and cradle it in your lap and hold him in your arms. He's going to be a great nation. And then listen to what the Bible says. It says that she looked and she saw a whale. And she went and filled her bottle. And gave it to her son. I don't know what wilderness. I don't know what trouble. I don't know what problem. That you might be encountering. That you might be going through. I don't know. If your bottle is dry. But I do know. That he's a God that makes standing water. In the wilderness. That there is a well. Of a promise. That I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will go with you always, even to the end of the age. And when you're in a dry place and your bottle has run dry, lift up your eyes and through all of the wind and the dust, you'll see a well opened up. Listen, there's a fountain opened up in the house of David, amen? There is a supply for you. And you can go and fill your bottle one more time. Amen. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. But then I heard my Savior, gently speaking, draw from this well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me. 
till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up. And make me whole. Would you stand today and I want you to lift your Lift your hand up as if you have a bottle, as if you have a wineskin, as if you have a cup. Lift it up to the Lord, and let's just say this simple prayer. Lord, fill my cup. Lord, fill my cup. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we know that we walk through arid places so many times. And we know sometimes, God, Lord, that the bottle runs dry. But we know that we have a source We have a source within us. We have a spring of living water within us that is the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, stir that. Lord, uncork that fountain. Unstop that fountain. And let the Spirit of God flow in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Fill us up to overflowing. Amen and amen. God bless you. I love you. I hope that you have a great day.